Have you had enough? Are you tired yet? We have been dealing with something for many months that we thought might be over much, much sooner. The impact of COVID-19 on us is varied, widely varied. Some have lost jobs. Some are working harder than ever. Some are at the point of despair, not knowing when this will end, not knowing how it will end. Wondering, wondering how they can face the next day. Some entered into this season in the midst of a marriage that was difficult, and now the difficulties seem to be magnified. Others have jobs that are very demanding in the midst of this and then are called upon to help their children learn at home. Others are the teachers that are trying to figure out how to teach in different ways than what they have done before. And in the midst of that, we have division over race. We have hatred spewing up in our streets. And here in our city, one more black man killed by the police. And some will raise up and say, it is the police's fault and the police should be, um, we, we should hate the police. And others will say, it is the fault of criminals who don't do what is right and we should not, we should support our police in every way we can. And it's, so difficult to find a middle ground, but there is one, of course, of acknowledging good police and being thankful for them and encouraging them and for acknowledging at the same time that there are systemic problems in our society that keep some people from being able to take advantage of all the resources and all the, the sense of safety and hope that others experience without even thinking about it. We, but but the polarization in our society makes it seem like you have to be on one side or the other, and then we drop into the mix uh, an election, a presidential election, which seems to be the most divisive presidential election in recent history. And people believe that if the, they're, the one they're not for is elected, that the world will fall apart on both sides. And we're left to wonder, how can we make it through? And if you happen to be one of those people that believes that if this side is elected or that side is elected, everything will fall apart, your level of anxiety will be overwhelming. And into this, we read, in the midst of this, we read of a widow a widow in that culture in which Jesus lived and spoke had 
almost zero power, zero authority. And this woman was crying out for justice. She was saying, when will it end? When will things get better for me? When will justice be served? And the judge that had all the power is one that didn't care, didn't care about God, didn't care about people, just did his thing and ignored her as long as he could until he could do so no longer. He says, she's going to come after me. And the word in the Greek says, she's going to give me a black eye. Uh, and the translators translate that differently in different translations, but uh, she's going to beat me up. She's going to come after me. And I think one of the um, better understandings is she's going to give me a black eye. That's the literal translation. I think what he's concerned about in that is not only his physical well-being, but his, um, his um, reputation. If you walk around with a black eye, people are going to say, where'd you get that shiner? How did that happen? And he's going to have to say, well, a widow gave it to me. And maybe it wasn't even a literal black eye that he was concerned about, but the besmirchment of his character, of his power and authority uh, being called into question. But finally, it says he relents and grants her justice. And this... this um, story is told as a parable. And it's, it's very important to understand it's not an allegory. Now, an allegory is where each piece of, each participant in the story has a direct correlation with uh, what the story's really about. In a parable, it's one story that conveys a truth. And it's not necessarily so that each participant in the parable represents in any way exactly or even uh, distantly uh, someone else. Now, we could say that the, the widow represents people. We are powerless. We can't make life work right. And, and God is the one who has all the power. And we can hope that God will finally answer our prayers. But the character of the judge makes that very difficult to do because the judge here has no character and God has all character. God is good at his core. God is ultimately all about justice and final justice when everything will be made right is in God's hands and he is not, he will not give us justice relenting and upset that he has to do it. He wants to do it. God wants to bring justice and an end to human suffering. He longs for the day when that will come, just like we long for that day. So we have to understand also this parable, Jesus telling of it, in its context. Chapter 17, which immediately precedes this parable, is Jesus talking about his return, talking about when the kingdom of God will come in its fullness. And initially he says, it is here now, meaning all those who follow him, all those who are inhabited by his spirit because of what he uh, has done for them, have the kingdom of God now. He also means you have the kingdom of God standing right here because the kingdom of God is in Jesus Christ. But then he goes on to say that the kingdom of God will come one day like a flash of lightning. 
You will not be able to prepare. All of a sudden, Jesus will return and establish the new heaven and the new earth. And his point is, that is our ultimate hope. And if our hope is not ultimately in that, we will be continually disappointed, disheartened, and ultimately have no true, no abiding hope. So where does our hope come from? Jesus says in Verse 7, and God will, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Our hope is in the justice of God. Now, of course, the problem 2,000 years after Jesus spoke these words is quickly. And then we are reminded, as Second Peter 3 tells us, for the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So it's really only been two days. It seems like forever, 2,000 years, is a very long time. And even in our own lives, in the struggles that we endure, be they a month long or for decades long, they feel like a long time. And to say that he will bring justice swiftly is a hard thing for us to wrap our minds around, but we have to look at the truth that ultimately God will bring justice. And when we look, as, as Paul says, our light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory, an eternal uh, overwhelming glory. And that eternal glory compared with a month, or 40 years, or 80 years, is momentary. And God will bring his kingdom. Jesus Christ will return and establish the new heaven and the new earth. And that is our hope. But there's another element of this when he says quickly that I think he's pointing to, and that is the fact that these words were spoken just days before his crucifixion and resurrection. So Jesus is saying justice, ultimate justice, is being accomplished very soon when he is nailed to that cross and sinfulness and all the injustice of humanity throughout time is placed upon him. And it's important for us to realize uh, in our individualistic society here in the United States that this is not just about individual sin. It's not just about your sin and my sin being placed upon Jesus on that cross. It is about all injustice. It is about all sinfulness, willful sinfulness, and that sinfulness that underlies everything we do so that we can't even know that we're being sinful, but the sinfulness is part of who we are. It's part of the whole world, the whole earth, the whole existence is marred by this sinfulness, and Jesus will 
bring justice. He will bring righteousness and the sinfulness and injustice will one day be taken care of. Now, I have already used the, the, ver the words of this song in um, communion a couple months ago. And now on another communion Sunday, I, I'm going to use them again. And you've heard them when the song is sung. But this song was written in November of 2019, or at least it was uh, released then, before COVID, before um, the, the racial unrest began to um, come up again in our country. And these are the words of the song. One day, there'll be no more waiting left for our souls. One day, there'll be no more children longing for home. One day, there'll be no more lives taken too soon. One day, there'll be no more need for a hospital room. One day, every tear that falls will be wiped by his hand. We will see the promised land. One day, there'll be no more anger left in our eyes. One day, the color of our skin won't cause a divide. One day, we'll be family standing hand in hand, and we will see the promised land. One day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. One day, when our tired and weary bones find their rest. One day, when the power of evil is brought to an end, we will see the promised land. Hallelujah. There will be healing. From this heartache we've been feeling, we'll sing in the darkest night. We sing in the darkest night because we know that the light will come and there will be healing. Hallelujah. We, as believers in Jesus Christ, live in a time when we know that he has taken injustice upon himself upon, on the cross. We know that one day he will return and bring ultimate justice and righteousness and peace and uh, the end of sickness, the end of disease, the end of hatred, the end of anything that has caused us grief. He will cause that to be done. And we look forward to that day. And what he asks of us in verse 8 is, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And I believe that's why Jesus told this story. In the context of looking at uh, eternity, looking at the kingdom of God that will come, in an era, in our, our age, in the age of humanity thus far, where trials and struggles and injustice reigns, we have this hope. But will we get worn out in believing that hope and stop believing? Will we still have faith when he returns? How do we have faith, keep the faith? How do we keep the faith and not lose hope? Well, verse 1 says, Jesus told this parable for this reason, to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Pray. Don't give up. The word there for give up means lose interest, lose your motivation, become so discouraged that you don't try anymore. And some of you may feel like you are this far from that. And I encourage you, don't give up. Because the promises of God are true. The promises of God are reliable. 
and the kingdom of God that will come will be so glorious that all of the hurt and pain and sadness that we experience now will be wiped away. Some of you are dealing with the fact that perseverance and faith are no longer abstract concepts for you, but very real, very necessary. Rick Warren preached a sermon on this in another passage, and in it he said, um, in speaking of the need to pray and not give up, he says, you are either praying or you're giving up. At each moment of every day, you are either praying or you're giving up. In your life in general, you are either praying or you are giving up. Praying keeps us focused on God. And that is one of the reasons that we are called to pray continually, to keep our hope alive, to keep our faith alive. In Psalm 37, 4, we read, Delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So if you find that your desires are not being met, um, look to the Lord. Not so that God will um, give you everything you think you want, but so that God will reorient your heart around the truth of his presence and his promises. I um, recently, Devin and I got a the Amazon gift ca um, catalog. Have you gotten that? It, it was, uh, it took me back seeing that all these toys uh, in this catalog. And I thought, oh, I remember, you know, the Sears catalog, the Pennies catalog, all those catalogs with all that section, page after page of toys. And I would go through, and I bet you did too, if you are of a certain age, and circle, 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 circle. This, 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 this. I want these, I want, I want all this stuff. Rick Warren says his kids used to do that too, or they'd walk through the mall and, and they'd point, I want that daddy, I want that daddy, I want that daddy, I want that daddy. And he, he said, his number was 18. 18 times the kid had to say, but daddy, I really want that. I really, really want that. 18 reallys, and then he started believing them. Because so often we uh, confuse our whims with our deepest desires, our wants with our the true desires of our hearts. And God promises to... Um, give us the desires of our hearts, the deepest desires. That does not mean that every whim or every uh, want that we have, he's going to give us, and we should not measure his faithfulness by whether or not he gives us those things. But to acknowledge that the deepest desires of my heart will be met in him or can be met in him is what we're called to do. To wait patiently in the midst of sorrow and struggle, helps us to mature. Parents, do you remember the time when you first had to let your infant cry and not go comfort them? Parents, do you remember the first time you let your kid stay home alone and left them alone? I bet for most of you it went pretty well, and some of you may have stories that go the other direction. But either way, that is part of maturing. 
And when we feel like God has left us alone, it may very well be part of our maturation process that he is calling us to continue in faith even when faith is hard. We are struggling as a nation, as, a, as the world right now in ways that most of us have never seen before. Now, the thing is, the ways we're struggling or having to struggle at all are really not new to humanity. They may be new to us, but throughout history, people have struggled. People have had difficult lives, and for many generations, much shorter lives than ours. And if they were faithful to our gracious God, who will ultimately bring justice, they did not set their hope on the things of this world. They set their ultimate hope in the promise of God. And sometimes, yes, that means being patient. Sometimes God answers a prayer so gloriously that we cannot deny that he has been at work and it's beautiful and keep those in mind. Don't forget those wonderful experiences, but there may be times in your life and this may be one of them where we are called to always pray and not give up. And always praying means always seeking God and believing that God is there, that God is good, that God is just, and that God's promises are true. And seeking to experience him by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit and have our trust renewed and strengthened as we mature in our faith.